Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi folks, this is a trigger warning that today's guests, uh, Kira and Anna, are from the Me Too Misha Fosta campaign discussing topics such as sexual abuse and we have Toby who also is an activist and she will be speaking about indirect provision and racism so please be mindfully aware of this thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this episode and find it educational hello and welcome to the podcast how are you all doing good thank you well supposed to be traveling all last year well this year I suppose during and then COVID hit and I had to come home but I suppose it was kind of a blessing in disguise, potentially. I don't know. <laughs> if if there was no lockdown, what me, myself and Kira have been up to uh, with Misha Foster definitely wouldn't have happened. So uh, that all kicked off around June time. So since mm. then, it's just been absolutely crazy. It, has, it really has been. Yeah, I'm Kira. I'm with Misha Foster as well with Anna. And um, yeah, I'm actually so grateful, <laughs> nearly like I know that's terrible to say so many people have been affected so negatively, but uh, but it really just gave us so much time to like reflect and realise all the change that needed to be made and everything like that. So we definitely would be coming out the, the other end, different people and with a lot more knowledge behind us and I'm grateful for that anyways yeah what a good outlook to have um and what about yourself Toby yeah like the two girls I've been quite busy during lockdown and I've been how to say dipping my fingers in many different pies talking a lot (laughs) um (laughs) um yeah so especially in the last few months I've been doing a lot of work raising awareness about racism um in Ireland direct provision in Ireland um through my Instagram account, I'm facilitating weekly discussions that I have coined Wise Up Wednesdays, where basically what I call an online forum where people send in contributions about a certain topic that surrounds race. And um, I share those contributions. And at the end of the day, I come on and give a little bit of my opinion and how I feel about it with direct provision. I do a lot of work with um, Massey, abolished direct provision as well recently, um, raising awareness about DPE. Um, emailing TDs, contacting TDs about it. Um, yeah, so I'm, yeah, I'm a busy woman, say the least. <laughs> I think with COVID, um, and certainly with yourselves, um, like it's given so many of us the time to step away from a world that we, you know, had our own nuances and our own flow and ebb, and to just look a little bit deeper uh, outside the comforts of you know, not upsetting the general system and, and format of things and to see how we can be the change in the world. Um, I mean, Toby, you mentioned how accessible it was to email TDs, politicians, ministers. We can all do this. Change is within our own power. And, uh, you know, I've I've learned so much from your Instagram feed, especially about direct provision. And I probably wouldn't have had I not have kind of come across your profile. And, and it's just wonderful. I know that so many people agree. Can you just let our listeners know what exactly direct provision is? Um, I think that's actually where um, this this actually started from with me because I realized a couple of months ago when I'd spoken to people about direct provision that there was a lot of confusion around what it was. Mm. 
people didn't know what an asylum seeker what the difference between an asylum seeker and a refugee was a lot of people had this concept that you know these people are coming into Ireland to take our jobs you know coming to take advantage of our welfare system when truly that isn't the case and I think a little bit of research goes a long way so I thought to myself okay how can I do something that's easily accessible to people that isn't too long because as we know with social media these days people's attention spans aren't very long but um I was I thought to myself I was like okay I want to raise money from Massey who are doing they're called Movement for Asylum Seekers Ireland who are doing incredible work um to raise awareness about direct vision supporting asylum seekers in DP centres all around the country um I also wanted people to be able to educate themselves so I literally sat down in my bedroom made a six minute video detailing what DP was um and I posted this on my um IGTV and yeah a lot of people saw it which is brilliant but basically in that video I basically detailed the very like um basic I keep using that word details about DP so for example an asylum seeker somebody basically who comes to a country like Ireland seeking refuge because they're either fleeing war um, any sort of economic crisis they're in crisis in their own country um, and when they come here they're basically placed in these centres DP centres which it's meant to be a temporary placement for up to a six month period while their application has been processed so meaning that by the end of that process they would either be granted asylum in Ireland at which point they would become um uh, sorry, my means are bad. So, from asylum seeker to they become, they get refugee status, but if they don't, they will most likely be issued a deportation order back to their country. But hmm. the problem with the system is that it was introduced in Ireland in 2000 as a temporary measure, but it's actually 21 years of direct provision this month, in um, November. Hmm. A lot of people have hmm. been in the system for 14 years. And when we look at the system, it's a question of what is wrong with it. So, basically, hmm. people before. Um, up until a couple of years ago, people were living on 19 euro. They were sharing a room with up to usually six other individuals. Um, so you could be you could be sharing a room with five um, different people that you've never met before for up to between six months to 14 years, 17 years. It's it's absolutely it's ridiculous. Um, as well, the food is absolutely awful. Um, in most DP centres, you cannot cook for yourself. And most of the food that people are provided are either gone off, half cooked. Um, it, it, it's just, it's absolutely ridiculous. If you're in DP, you can't drive. Um, you're not allowed to have a driver's licence. Up until 2018, actually, you couldn't even work mm-hmm. if you were an asylum seeker. So it was, le- it was illegal for an asylum seeker to work in Ireland. So you literally had no option but to depend on the stage for this 19 euro that they were giving you. And for those then that could work, there was another barrier of the fact that you couldn't have a bank account if you're an asylum seeker. And let's be realistic, most organisations, most businesses pay wages directly into a bank account. So that is Mm. also hitting people with another barrier. So there was just a lot of information that I felt people didn't really understand if that was Mm. out of ignorance or just lack of education. I wasn't sure, but I just wanted to create a space where people would come and be like, okay, this is what direct vision is. This is what I've learned. This is what I can do to help. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just horrific. It's it's very unsettling um, when you see the likes of Roger O'Gorman from the Green Party, who is Minister for Children, Equality, Disability and Integration, having failed so drastically um, and so much in his role. I, I'm not a very big fan of Roger O'Gorman uh, or the state of the current Irish government. Direct provision has been criticised by human rights organisations and many others for illegal, inhumane mistreatment of these people. 
Oh, like dire, dire living conditions. Um, yet Roger O'Gorman and the government argue that asylum seekers are cared for in accordance with international law. This is not the case. It's not true. Um, there's also asylum seekers dying because of the mental and physical emotional toll. Uh, you can see all this on Abolish um, Direct Revision Ireland IG page. I mean, it's just so very unsettling and sad and you know, very triggering for a lot of people that would be listening to this and especially those that are in these situ- situations and those who have been affected. That's where the problem lies therein with the government is that one thing I've learned in the last few months about the Irish government, the Department of Justice, is that they're very protective about Ireland as a country. Understandable, mm. yes. They see, they the way they portray asylum seekers in the public mm. light is as if, or, you know, they come here depending on they the Irish state. Our, our clothes and our food. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. you know. But when you actually look at it, that I actually said this yesterday on a live that I did, is we have to be realistic. Ireland was a very poor country for a period of 70-odd years. And yeah. then in the 90s, early 2000s, you know, when the boom hit, Ireland began to come up, you know, we a lot of businesses opening. It is only natural for people to migrate to countries where they know they can earn a living contribute back to the society a lot a majority of people in dp do not want to be dependent on the state they want to be able to work to be able to mm. pay their own rent cook their own food you know it's not it's not a case of dependency and that is where um the misinformation and misrepresentation about tp comes from so i've heard mm. they live in four-star hotels with swimming pools they have nothing to be oh complaining about and i just think where in god's name did you hear that like yeah, it's just yeah. it's incredible the the amount of just um misrepresentations of these people and they're viewed in such a negative light and it affects their mm. mental health a lot of people the statistics of mental health problems within people in these centers is astronomical there's been three suicides in the past three months in direct provision centers. Oh um, a lot of these centers are in isolated places and usually they have one bus that maybe goes into the city once or twice. And with COVID, like last night, an asylum seeker said something that really, really will stick me for a very long time is that we've been in lockdown since what, March? They're mm. in lockdown every day. Yeah. They can't drive. They can't go anywhere. They're indoors. They can't work. They can't get an education how like it's it's only understandable that over a period of time that would affect your psyche it's yeah it's horrible and for them to come here looking for like the light at the end of the tunnel for them like and they're just met with this it just must be just so grim because they're they're fleeing what's meant to be horrible and coming to such a brighter community yeah, and it's really it. just it's no and better it's, like yeah and it's that I feel like a pro, in a way we're adding to the trauma that people have already yeah. experienced you know it's I just can't understand how something that was introduced as a temporary measure 21 mm. years later and we're still trying to fight it mm. yeah absolutely I mean I think as Irish people a lot of Irish believe that because in the 1700s and 1800s uh, we endured colonization from the English we were sent abroad sent to Van Diemen's land to you know Peller to Connacht or to Australia and our freedoms were stripped from us and the Irish people are equally you know enduring of the of the slavery that that black people have and that's just simply not true I mean the color of our skin prohibited um the long-term damage that that could have done uh, on Honest, like you know, let's be real, it has, and I think that lack of education and knowing 
how privileged we are um, is just something that a lot of people don't want to accept from the white community. Um, you know, it's it's just it's a very difficult, very complex issue for some. But in actual fact, it, it isn't really, you know. Um, I think in terms of how would I say practicality, um, mm. I think because uh, even just with the issue of racism, I think a lot of it is, OK, I've read that. That's awful. Gosh, what's next? It's more so, no, I've read that. That's awful. What can I do next? You know, yeah. and yeah. it's not just about money, because I genuinely think a lot of people think, oh, I have to donate to a charity. Oh, I have no, mm. you have a constitutional right to vote in Ireland. You have a constitutional yeah. right to challenge um, TDs in your area if they're not doing a good job, if you're not happy with the performance. Same thing with mm. the government emailing your TDs is so powerful I even for example um, for the I don't know if you heard about the man in Monaghan who had cockroach bites all over him yeah I've seen the picture it's terrific when I posted that so many people emailed their TDs and they had no choice but to put in a parliamentary question because they knew eyes were on them it works like it's such a powerful thing to do and it's a powerful way to show that no I have a voice and I am going to use it and I am going to speak out and say that this isn't right I'm not going to stand for it in Ireland you know Mm, yeah. And I mean, it's simple to be a part of the solution here and not be a part of the problem it with a very unfair system which claims the lives and the mental health of human beings. I mean, we all have at some stage, you know, sat at the guidelines and nodded and just accepted things as they were. But that's not safe for so many people who don't have the voice to be heard. Uh, speaking of, of the voiceless and, and being silenced, Kira and Anna, you started a Misha Foster movement which is a collective of people who have shaken the folk and trad community and stepped out of the shadows of abuse and to raise awareness. I mean, how did that come about? What prompted it? Well, um, it was actually back in June. Uh, we were actually keeping close track of a girl from Belfast who was uh, kind of out in uh, abusers in the mainstream music scene in the North. And she was just the same kind of job, posting stuff on social media. And I remember we were there's a few of us chatting about how that how it's not mutually exclusive to trad. This happens in trad all the time, and there's certain people that have are known abusers, and they're still supported. The the abuse had been completely normalised. So I remember our tactic. Uh, I just threw up an Instagram story. That's all it was. And mm. we were kind of thinking, we're going to go for tastefully passive aggressive. We want some people to see this and just be a bit on edge. We want to ruff, ruffle a few feathers. So we threw up an Instagram post just on my personal page mm. about um, just about the normalization and how this is also happening within the tragic community. And mm. it absolutely kicked off. Oh, it blew up within. Oh. Literally, I remember sitting on the couch beside my sister and I had seen Anna's story within, I'd say, 10 minutes of her putting it up. And mm. already, like, it was just so alarming because I read it and it wasn't pointing any fingers. But, like, mm-hmm. I had so many names pop into my head. And I was like, oh, my God, you just, like, you ask yourself, like, why am I allowing this? Why why have I yeah. allowed this for so long? Why have I never seen this as such a big issue? And mm. I think a lot of people were like that. Everything just blew up, thankfully. There was a huge conversation about it then, but... um. Definitely a long time overdue. It wasn't necessarily an orchestrated movement. It, it was a long time coming. It kind of almost happened by accident, you could say. It wasn't that mm. we were going to make this collective called Misha Foster. 
mm. was the other way about things kicked off and then we were thinking maybe maybe we should do something for, sort of more structured so then we set yeah. up the the Mish Foster page yeah so god it's just so similar to Toby when she put up a post about direct provision it was seen by thousands of people and shared and it just resonated with so many um and and in a way, it started the clogs in motion towards change, towards people being properly educated on facts. You know, the old adage, knowledge is power. And in this instance, it really it really was and it really is. And in a way, it also helped people to see what was going on behind the scenes. You know, refugees aren't living it up like Will Smith. It wasn't the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. You know, this is real life, real people. And real change needs to happen. The same with the trad and folk scene, how there's so many sexual predators that prey on young girls and boys. It's such a such a difficult topic, but, but one that really needs to be addressed and conversations need to be happening around it. So in your opinions, what needs to happen in order to safeguard our people, our diverse community and our creators, our you know, our talent, the the young boys and girls of the trad scene, as well as our refugees that have come to Ireland to seek refuge. What 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 needs to happen? I think definitely education, as you say. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we were talking there about Ireland, how it's, it used to be a bit of a carceral state, you know, mother and baby homes and mm-hmm. now direct provision. And that sort of link to Catholic conservatism definitely transferred when you were talking about Misha Foster over to sex education or the lack thereof in mm. schools you know there's it's uh, there's basically nothing there yeah it's um, frightening for such a developed country like to have uh, and like so, so based on education and everything to have like lit- literally nothing about this huge topic where so many people are affected by abuse and all sorts just yeah. neglect to, you know to the point where i i was actually doing a podcast in irish about misha foster and i was preparing mm. for it and i actually i went to a, an irish um school and secondary school i've spoke irish all my life and i didn't know the word for consent i had to google it so i think that shows you know the, the lack of education in schools so that's what mm. we're kind of one of our main aims um a, along with giving victims a safe space to tell their story mm. and get support it's just yeah. to educate people especially uh, around consent yeah sure I remember you know sex education in school and nobody wants to mention consent you know I remember people giggling in the back of the class but no word of consent the teachers no more were able to explain that the actors and the actresses in the sex video and then you see the male principal in Carlo this this week you know demanding that girls stop wearing tight clothes because it's distracted to the staff so not much has really changed I mean I couldn't believe either about how there's no laws in place in Irish government to protect the women from the recently leaked images case and and revenge porn it's just as Mary Lou from the opposition um, in the government said from Sinn Féin the inadequacies of Irish law are present uh, today you know and, and these are laws that haven't been set by the Irish government but how how do we look about creating legislative change you know, and, and how does one go about achieving it to, in order to make a safer environment for for everybody in this instance? Yeah, well, I think in trad, it's especially it is more difficult because there isn't that um, there's not it's not structured. So you're not if something happens, you can't go to HR because a lot of 
it's it's not one organization it's it's a community so mm. we're talking about legislation which is which is great when it comes to festivals and fair play have been uh working flat out on that but from our point of view it's more about a cultural change and a change in attitudes whereas then we're work- we're also working fair play talking about uh, getting legislation for uh, mm. for the more formal events but try yeah. does bring that its own kind of problems there and that it's mm. it's not a an, an organization but a community yeah i mean i won't lie i'm constantly perplexed as to how the government doesn't see issues like this as urgent and ones that we need to very 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 much so work out and sort out they're human rights issues they affect us all Speaking of human rights, the Black Lives Matter movement was one of the biggest movements of the year after the wrongful killing of members of the black community. Toby, you are a woman who constantly educates people on how to be a great and effective white ally. Can you go into a little bit more information about that so that our listeners can benefit from what you will say and also be, uh, you know, constructive and helpful in ending racism? Um, I definitely think when it comes to the subject of race, there's a level of uncomfortability around it. Um, people don't like to acknowledge that they might have been complicit um, when it comes to racism or seeing um, instances of racism happen in their everyday life, be that in the workplace, be it in their home, in schools. Um, I definitely think uh, on a legal level, there's not enough supports for people that experience racism in Ireland. As a black mm. woman, when I experience racism, if I report it to the Gardaí, most likely nothing is going to be done about it. Um, mm. There is no sort of law in Ireland we hate crime, which that's something I'm very big on. Um, I definitely think there should be, um, not mm. just for racism in terms of Islamophobia, um, homophobic slurs being thrown around. I definitely think there should be some sort of legal repercussions for being an openly hateful person towards a person mm. because of their race, their sexual orientation, their religion, etc., but then when it comes down to the individual, I would definitely say it's, first of all, awareness um, awareness that racism is a problem within Ireland. It's not just the UK problem. It's not just an American problem. It's deep rooted mm-hmm. in this state. Direct vision is, number one, the evidence. Um, yeah. My experiences as a black, young, educated woman in Ireland is the evidence. Um, mm-hmm. And after awareness, I think, comes education education yourself and when I say education I don't mean go buy, buy a book on race and try you know learn as much information as you can within 24 hours and mm. think okay great my job done no yeah yeah follow people that you know can you know um how would I say talk about the topic of race in a way that you mm. find accessible in a way that you can understand that um and as well if you have people in your lives that are from a different background talk to them mm. ask them I definitely know before this year race was not a conversation or racism was not a conversation I really had with mm. a lot of people because yeah. I never wanted to make people uncomfortable and that's not fair on me because at the end of the day I'm uncomfortable majority of the time when I have to experience mm. racism, you know and definitely yeah. I think another practical action is calling out racism and when I say Mm. that a lot of people think oh yeah yeah you know call it out but no it is because I definitely think in Ireland we have um a sort of attitude of not wanting to be awkward or cause a scene or you know we don't want to be the one that's not being having a good having you know having the crack and having the bounce you know but I definitely Mm. think that's the issue because when you're in a pub scene for example and somebody says something that makes you think oh gosh that's not really okay or do you know what that's Mm. a little bit racist you being silent is you being complicit and you're also just as much at fault you know 
And I definitely think a lot of people have come to me over the months and said, you know, I'm so sorry that in the past, like when I saw a thing, I said, don't apologize. I think that apologizing and shaming yourself isn't going to solve the situation. It's seeing Mm. you're wrong and thinking, okay, the next time I see something like that, what can I say to change the situation? Even don't have to be confrontational, asking somebody, okay, Paul, what did you mean by that remark or can you explain why you would say something like that? I think when people are put on the mm. spot and have to give an explanation for their absolutely irrational thoughts, it's a very uncomfortable thing to do. And I think mm. uncomfortability isn't a thing we like to feel as human beings. So I definitely think it will make someone question the next time they want to say something that is racist and or discriminatory towards someone that, gosh, you know what? Mm. That's not okay. And I definitely think with racism as well, there is microaggressions and microaggressions micro being the word is little things that you might not think are hurtful or damaging to another person from another community mm. but can be so incredibly damaging for example I'll give my hair having mm. braids having people touch my hair without my um consent asking mm. me was that your real hair and um, you know like why do you eat that food why does your food smell like that you might think that's racist you might think that's curiosity but that is a microaggression and I will be left feeling horrible about it you know um, and yeah. so I definitely think educating yourself and I I definitely know in this day and age with digital and media social media information is so easily accessible Um, and that's why I say that obviously I love educating people I think it's brilliant that people are willing to listen and willing to change willing to understand acknowledge their faults and grow from there but at the same time I do come and say that the responsibility to educate you isn't to be on black people the people that experience Mm. this you look look up stuff on google look up stuff on Mm. youtube follow people on instagram that talk about this you know it's you shouldn't expect the race that are also feeling this how would i say um burden of being as i put in quotation marks a minority in a country that Mm. is majorly white to be the ones educate you on something that is traumatic for them you know yeah, totally. And and that's what I was so conscious about doing today's podcast uh, because I didn't want anyone to be in a position where they had to be re-traumatised or to talk about situations that was very upsetting for them in their life. And I'm glad that we've kind of went the route where we're just talking about empowering people and how to, you know, elicit change and how, you know, positive action. And that's really what it's about, um, you know. In terms of the trad community and the and the folk music community, um, Kira and Anna, is there a diversity there? Um, I hope that there is, and and you know, because we see Ireland right now, and and it's a beautiful, multicultural, diverse uh, country. Um, is is that reflected in the landscape of traditional music? Well, firstly. Everything, Toby, well, Toby sounds amazing and I'm so excited to see all the work you've been doing. But um, everything you've said there about the whole complicit thing, it's so funny how much it like it relates, to, it relates yeah. to exactly what we're trying to do as well. Calling out people, you know, pub talk and all of that. It's 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 so similar. But um, what you just asked, unfortunately, there isn't a huge black community in Irish music, I guess. Like, I mean, compared to to white musicians, I suppose. But uh, in Ireland, I, I guess there probably would be more over in America. Um, I was saying earlier how um, in Irish dancing, it's amazing to see uh, such growth in like diverse cultures and that loads of Irish dancers now are 
people of colour in all over the world and it's amazing to see. But um in Irish in Irish music, I don't know, Anna, what do you think? Definitely not. Not in comparison. There'd be a lot more within the dance community. Yeah. But um Irish music is growing generally and with that hopefully um brings more diversity. Because you're talking Irish music isn't now just confined to Ireland anymore. There's cultist branches all over the world. So yeah. hopefully it's less. That's great. Like so it's all about really creating awareness and you know, it's just so important that to use the, the knowledge and to be empowered by it. But I suppose, look, let's get real. There's always going to be deniers. There's climate deniers. There's people that don't believe that racism is even in existence, that, you know, they refuse to believe about my privilege, you know. But <laughs> and that's not even going into trolls and how many trolls we all have to deal with, especially in the world of activism. And I suppose what I've learned this year, especially um, with my own activism work, is just how to kind of manage that and how to maintain, uh, you know, your mental health, really. You know, Uh, what tools, what resources um, do you all use and um, practice in order to kind of keep the old head leveled? Yeah, well, it's tough. Definitely. We've had to cut off a lot of friends who you have mm. just it, some of the stuff said has been horrible really like there you do get trolls now especially that we're growing and some of them are actually are hilarious they do keep us entertained and the best thing to do with your average troll is just block but then there mm. are some people who are legitimate accounts who are asking questions and they're not always coming from from a good place but the mm. worst thing for us has been uh friends denying that there is any kind of gender problems within trad and mm. that assault happens and i'm sure Kira, do you want to talk about how we oh yeah it? just yeah. we've had really tough conversations throughout the summer just of us explaining this that and the other and like just the disbelief of hearing some of the stuff from people we would have considered family back and just they're complete and then for them to say oh I actually agree with what you're saying but I still think he he or she is sound and um I still consider them a mate you know and just complete complicitness you know it's just it's actually really and like at the start I guess it was quite discouraging or um, just sad to see but um, I, I think as we're growing we're really just learning like we're, we're actually grateful to learn who's their bias because mm. we have a lot we've a reader friend group now definitely like um, mm. and it's just kind of sifted out like the really just useful yeah. people um, because like and that's what I was actually saying to someone else earlier on with trad we would have only met each other probably during the summer for maybe once or twice you'd never have a deep conversation you'd come away from the festival you'd say oh they're so sound they're a legend they're so friendly yeah I get on great with her you don't know what their views are on anything mm. so you have like this kind of a tough conversation and you really find out who the bad apples are, you know, that kind of way and where mm. they would stand if you needed help or if, if like, you know, just in general where they stand. And um, it's actually, it's, I think it's been a blessing just to figure out who's, who's, who's good and who's not and 
who yeah. gets who doesn't and who has a bit of empathy and like mm. and can sympathize with with um with the victims like it's it's actually been a real eye opener but uh, mm. it has been tough like it has and mm. uh, as regard to like just normal trolls or people who are just looking for a bit of drama we don't really give them much time like mm. we, know, we know there are def- definitely people that interact with posts and stuff that yeah. don't have much to say but think they do you know they they mm-hmm. aren't actually listening they aren't taking the time to educate themselves and so we actually don't even like put much pressure on ourselves to be the ones to educate them like Toby said like you know it, I'm not going to rehash my bad bad memories or my trauma just so y- you can take something from this and you probably like and they probably won't and at the end of the day they, they don't want mm. to so yeah. um yeah, so it's definitely known who to educate, who will take it on board and who to cut out, basically. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And not waste not waste energy, put energy into actually doing doing good things and, and, and support and put energy into support people who need support. Yeah, so uh, for my 18th birthday there, almost two years ago now, Jesus, mm. um, my dad got me... Uh, I think it's one of the first editions of Bernadette Devlin's book, The Price of My Soul. Uh, so I just read that there over uh, lockdown. It's it's kind of like a her her own her own story about becoming involved in activism and civil rights movement mm. in the north. And it was just an absolutely it was a brilliant book, just so unapologetic and just such a powerful person. I love like the likes of, you know, Katie Taylor, anyone like any girl who's just broken through a glass ceiling. I just think mm. I just think it's so powerful, like, you know. Um Yeah. Yeah. And Bernadette Devon is definitely one of the biggest legends. I won't lie, at the start when I first because obviously I went to a predominantly white primary school, white secondary school, and it was only when I came to college that I actually started to meet other young black men and women my own age. Um, So Mm. that's when my friend group started to become more diverse. But um, I definitely think because I never really spoke up about my experiences of racism before, people weren't aware, people my age anyways, weren't aware that my experiences were as horrible as they were. And I definitely think when I started speaking out about it, I had a lot of, so I'd like different crowds of people. I had the ones that were absolutely outraged, disgusted that this was happening asking me what they could do to help you know how they could amplify my voice brilliant second crowd of people who are meh indifferent you know that's not really my thing <laughs> and then we had those ones that would just come into my dms and i the way i i tend to put out information i proofread things that i say a thousand thousand times when it comes to racism because i don't want anyone mm. to come back and be like oh she's pointing fingers and trying to criticize me you're trying to you know whatever but i will still have people who clearly see what i'm saying refuse to take it in but nitpick mm. at maybe one point that they're like nope that's it i'm gonna go to her in the dms now and have a debate with her and at the start i felt obligated to try to bring them to my side you know to educate yeah. them make them understand where i'm coming from but I'm sorry, it takes so much time and effort that these is I'm just like block. I just don't have the time anymore. Well, <laughs> yeah. think, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a law student currently sitting with FE ones. I am working as well. I'm doing this. Yeah. I just don't have time to be engaging with trolls. And obviously yeah. it's quite different because in real life you can't just block people. And um, you will have mm. situations where you do have to have these discussions. Yeah. But online, I definitely think behind a screen, people are incredibly brave to say what they think 
is okay or what they think they can get away with. And I definitely think white fragility is something I've dealt so much with in the last few months. People don't like to be made feel uncomfortable or for their ways of being to be challenged. And when I talk Mm -hmm. about racism, I am challenging their ways of being. But I definitely think that if you are uncomfortable, that is a first step in change because then you ask yourself, why am I uncomfortable? What is she saying that makes me feel, you know, not, you know, not okay with myself? You know, mm. and I definitely I think I've I've had experiences where people come up to me in person and they say, oh, gosh, we've heard what you've been saying on your Instagram and your Twitter account. Like, is racism really that bad? And I just think, oh, my God. oh this is just not a conversation I'm going to entertain. Like, yeah. at the end of the day, I am Toby. I do speak about racism, but it doesn't encompass every aspect of my life. You know what I mean? Mm. In that sense. And I definitely think there is that. Um, having the boundaries of respect and that's why I definitely say when I facilitate these weekly discussions that be respectful in your responses because at the end of the day yes we're discussing race but the person you are sending this message to is a human being like you with feelings Um, Mm. and I definitely think that's something that people need to remember and when it comes to race don't be defensive like as a black person don't try to engage in debate about racial experiences because I am telling you that I found it racist. I am telling you that I found it discriminatory. It is not your place as a white person to argue otherwise. Well, amen to that. Um, You know, I've just so much respect for you, Toby. Uh, And you know what? Just, I'm so delighted to be speaking to the three of you today because what powerhouses that you are. I mean, you just brought up um, Bernadette Devlin there recently, um, Anna and Kira, and what a woman. I remember she's once said, um, oh, what was it? Yesterday, I dare to struggle. Today, I dare to win. And it really does depict the journey that a lot of women are on, you know, and the limitations that we sometimes put on each other versus the limitations that we just rid, rid. you know, we, we break out the chains of our own demise, if you will. And when we do that, we, there's nothing that we can't do. And sure, I think really important aspect of that is to listen to one another. And and if someone is speaking over over us or, you know, uh, as Camilla Harris just recently said, just respond with I'm speaking, you know, and then there's an eloquence in that and there's also an authority in that and a power in that. Speaking of inspiring women, um, you know, and the girls just said it was burning at Devlin for them. Who inspires you, Toby? Definitely think I have two people right now. Um, one is my mom. My mom is literally like my cheerleader. She's like, yes, mm. you go on those radio stations and you tell them about racism. <laughs> and you tell them what you've experienced. Like, she's amazing. And I definitely think whenever I get into a place where I'm upset or I feel like the trolls are becoming too much, I can always go to her and she can understand because she too is a black woman. She understands mm my experiences she knows what it's like to be in my shoes um yeah. and another person is Emma Dabiri she wrote um don't touch my hair I yeah. absolutely she is literally like when I see Emma I just think everything I would love to be so strong articulate intelligent yeah. just yeah. everything that is beautiful about being black is just what I see in Emma and just her page alone I I'm I, when she followed me recently I literally was like this has made my 2020 yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah, she's amazing she really yeah. is yeah <laughs> what, what what great role models I mean and and like with the work that um just to kind of wind things down like with the work that again I just want to really put an emphasis on that the Misha Fosta um, and Direct Division, um, you know, the Massey movement, 
these are all collective movements that anyone can really be a part of. I mean, is yeah. that correct? Can, can oh, anyone yes. help people help with the work that you're doing? And I, I also have to point out, myself and yourself, we talked about it briefly, so we earlier on, that we're all doing these things for, for free. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, 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 and it's such a... Um, a huge chunk of time. I mean, I don't think I have had a day off since June since I since my first day. I honestly don't. I haven't. Yeah. I think my my girlfriend was like, Linda, you need to step away, and I'm like, I can't. It's so it's it's like this avalanche yeah. thing. And that's the thing as well. I think it that's where mental health comes in. That sometimes yeah. you need to know when to take a step back and take yeah. a break. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, I do meditation and stuff. This is actually probably going to come in now in a second ago. Come here, you. <laughs> but like, you know, that, that, that's my mode of kind of going, you know what, if I don't meditate for two days, I feel it. My body feels it. Um, yeah. I, you know, enrolled in Chinese traditional herbal medicine course, which I'm doing oh, for the gosh. last two months, which is no alcohol. So I've, I've been off alcohol for two months and I feel so clear. But what, what do you do to maintain yourself throughout all this incredible work that you're doing um and and yeah and then just kind of like how can people get involved in what you're doing as well we're so lucky during the summer that uh the group like the core group of misha foster we all we would have all been friends but there's we weren't definitely as close as we are now yeah although it's been so much work and we've been flat out we have had the chance to meet up quite a bit um and that's really been our kind of release. We just had a bit of crack as we're, as we're all musicians. So we'd be playing a few tunes. We got out to a pub once or twice during the summer before lockdown kicked mm. back in. So just just chatting to each other and being in each other's company, not talking about Misha Fasta is, yeah. is great for us. Yeah, yeah. And just playing music as well. It's like our own little meditation. In terms of taking a step back and I just watch a lot of Netflix, I have myself a nice bottle of white wine and I take a break from social media. There was a point there where my screen time was through the roof because I constantly felt I have to reply to people. I don't want people to think I'm ignoring them. You know, Mm. like I have to engage in conversation. I have to keep, I, I felt almost because I'd publicly spoken about racism in June and my own experiences, I almost felt like, not I wouldn't say burden but a pressure to keep up that conversation because I was yeah. scared that within a month people are just going to stop talking about it and we we're going to go back to pretending racism wasn't a thing or that racism isn't an issue so I was like no need to keep this conversation going but in doing that constantly been told my friends take a break you are not the only person on earth that can do this like you need to remember at the end of the day you are one person like you can't take on every issue yourself you know so I definitely yeah. do every once in a while like when I do feel like I'm getting overwhelmed I definitely do take a step back if I am doing it I want to put 110% into it and if I'm exhausted it's just it, it, it's wasting my time and it's also wasting people's time you know yeah but I am um, yeah. No, I definitely think it is knowing that at the end of the weight of the world doesn't rest on our shoulders just because we are speaking for the girls or just because we're activists and speaking out about a conversation that people aren't comfortable hearing. It is not our responsibility to have to hold that torch 24-7, you know? It was yeah. it was so easy at the beginning because there was a, like a natural kind of momentum and yeah. it got to the end of the summer. We were all burned out. We were all tired and we were yeah. still trying to make content and keep people Mm. engaged 
because you're like we can't let this die out we cannot let this die out you know there's yeah. the flaws has been cancelled next year as well so mm. we were like how are we going to keep this momentum going and then we realized we don't need to keep it going 24 yeah. 7 every now and again is fine just to remind yeah. people that we're still here but it doesn't have to be all the time and that's what yeah. we've just learned over the past month or so really so Lucas, if anyone wants to um check out the work that you were all doing what can they do? Where can they do? Where can they go? And um, how can they participate and be part of this solution? Um, well, first of all, Massey's website. So Massey spelled M-A-S-I. Massey have such accessible information on the website about asylum seekers, what they're currently doing in regards to ending direct provision, any government um, publications. Massey have it on their page, ReDP. So literally everything you need to know is on their page. As well, plug myself, follow my Instagram account. Um, it's Tovi underscore Lowell underscore. I literally share loads of information about direct provision. Anything that's highlighted in the news by Abolish DP, I share it on my page. Um, have topics on a weekly basis about race and my wise of Wednesday. So definitely, if you're looking to be educated, looking to learn, looking to contribute, that's the place for it. Um, and as well, I would definitely recommend following Abolish Direct Provision on Instagram. They have a brilliant template to email TDs actually on their website. So if you click the link in their bio, you will actually be given a template. So all you will need to do is look up on um look up your local TDs email addresses, pop them in the um two box on your email and literally send them the template. It's brilliant. So it's it makes the work so much easier for people, you know. But yeah, yeah. definitely. Brilliant. Thank you. And girls, what about yourself? Uh, our instagram is just at misha foster m-i-s-e-f-o-s-t-a and um and yeah just i guess we don't have yeah fire message and then we also have uh an email account uh, at misha foster rinda rinda is r-u-n-d-a which means secret or yeah uh for anyone who wants to contact us that way or if you anyone who wants to send in their story as well yeah yeah that's great and in uh or on the mission foster am i correct in saying that they anyone that has experienced anything of the nature of abuse um rape um you know sexual assault within the trad and folk scene can they reach out as well and, and share their story because sometimes even just talking about it um you know it, it helps out uh, am i correct in saying that that's the case yeah they can just reach out and um, they will have someone to listen to them we have a lot of very um, useful contacts uh, for yeah. support. And then if, if you want to report, if you don't want to report, we have all yeah. those kind of contacts. OK, well, that's that's brilliant. So anyone that's listening in that has been affected by these issues, please know that there is a safe haven. There are people that will hear you and listen to you and help you. Look, thanks so much, um, ladies, for, for being a part of the Why Not Her podcast and for giving your time for free today. I know we're all volunteers, but it really does have to be um, extenuated that it really, really, we're all doing this for free. And thank you so much for your time. And I hope you all have a great Christmas and get up to all the divinments you can uh, and uh, laugh and smile and eat all the nice food. Thank you, girls. Thank you. Uh, thanks very much for listening to today's show. I know there was very sensitive issues. So for those that held on throughout the entire podcast, 
Thank you. Uh, there was a few technical issues because we're all doing this mobile and uh, there was a few cutoffs. So hopefully you still get the gist of what was being said and that you can hear. Um, look, it, thanks very much. Uh, I'm going off to make myself a nice warm hot chocolate and I hope you do. Be kind to yourselves, be kind to each other and never ever be afraid to ask the question, why not her?